I wanted to create the ultimate bib for women that work for all different body types and that solve these really specific problems. You know, it's something that we all engage with. We all have to participate in this art form, this like purchase or consumption of design in the way that, you know, you can have any art hanging on your wall at home. Welcome to Cycling Demystified, brought to you by Foundation Bike Fit and Frequency Cycle Works, the podcast where we help you take your cycling to the next level by sharing knowledge from experienced bike fitters, mechanics, and the hidden players within the bike industry. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Soft Issues podcast, Claire and Graham. Um, Claire from Petrichor Projects. Did I say that right? You said that right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Graham Rayburn from uh, Albion. Just, just Albion. Albion clothing. No, just Albion. Albion's great. Yeah. Albion .cc. Is it trendy? Is it .cc? Uh, no, AlbionCycling.com. Cycling.com. There we go two pillars of the uh, cycling Might industry. have to double check that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we'll go back in and edit it all out. Um, but yeah, thank you both for coming into the studio today. We've also got Ev. Hi. Matt's in the background just typing. He's got better things to do today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't tempt him into <laughs> any background noise. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. He, had a, he had a star listener in earlier for a bike fit. Oh, did um, he? What's his name? Oh, yeah, shout out to Bobby. Shout out to Bobby. For, oh, yeah, bringing us Ferrero Rocher as well. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Incredible. So. Not quite milk tray, but it'll do. <laughs> yeah. Bobby, well done. Good stuff. You can come again. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I have to because he's got a follow up. Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> what's, the, what's the catch line for Ferrero Rocher? Um, oh, uh, Mr. Ambassador, you're spoiling us. <laughs> you do that far too quick. I know. <laughs> Shows how Showing old we are. <laughs> As if the grey in the beard wasn't enough to give it away. Yeah. All right. But um, today we wanted to get these guys in from the clothing industry, something we haven't really talked about before on the uh, podcast, but we just really wanted to get some different perspectives from the cycling industry and these are the kind of hidden sides of the cycling industry that go into making all the amazing stuff uh, designing graham is head designer at albion claire you run your own uh company called petrichor projects which you launched last year i launched in 2022, 2022 um soft launch and then last year was the official Big launch, okay. yeah, with our first clothing product. Awesome. So, oh, nice segue. You can tell us a little bit more about yourselves, what you do then, and <laughs> why you're amazing. Yeah, totally, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm Claire. Um, my background is in technical clothing product development. I um, studied fashion at university, but I was always really into cycling. Um, so while I was at university, I was like off racing mountain bikes and having loads of fun riding my bike. Um, and it was always my intention um, after graduating to merge my two passions and work in technical clothing and in the cycling industry. So yeah, I've worked for some uh, really awesome brands, um, had lots of fun working for um, 
yeah, loads of different cool technical people. And then last year, it, the time was right to sort of launch my own brand. So, Kabam, doing yeah. it yourself, yeah, doing yeah. it your own way. Yeah, Stuff. definitely. Jumping in a deep ocean. Yeah. Of nothingness. <laughs> yeah. And Graham, where did uh, how did you get into this uh, this soup um, of uh, <laughs> designing bike kit? Probably not too dissimilar to Claire. Um, only I wasn't maybe quite as smart and clever in that I think I did, I studied fashion, um, and also did a, an MA in fashion women's wear, but I wasn't really aware that actually there was jobs designing stuff. But at the same time, I had this deep passion for, for riding bikes, mountain biking. It's, it's kind of what I did as for fun and, um, you know, getting around, you know, seeing friends or whatever. I always knew it was like the best way to get across London and things like that, but I didn't really know that there was this whole world of designing technical clothing. Mm. Um, and it was a funny thing, a friend of a friend, um, after I graduated, um, said, oh, you should come in and meet the people at the place I'm working. He was working at Rafa. Um, it was back in 2007. Um, so then at the time, my brother, Christopher Raber and I were, were able to turn around samples really quickly. Again, we were both cyclists. We understood what was needed to be done um, and, and kind of it just went from there, really. Um, so um, I spent over 10 years working at Rafa and Claire and I actually worked together there and had a, made some absolutely amazing products. Um, and now I've been at Albion for um, sort of... Um, Officially uh, three years, but probably working um, with them maybe five years. Mm. Mm. Yeah, actually, that the big R, the the Rafa word, is the, the big connector <laughs> between all of us. Actually, this is how we well we've crossed mm. paths in lots of different areas, but we were all at Rafa at uh, some time together. Yeah. I started in two thousand and nine, um, moved to London to work for Rafa, mm. and so yeah. That's where we all go. Yeah. Go back in the day. Back when it was cool. And when were you you there, Wade? Because I was trying to work out, we were at Evans together 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. 2008, I was back at Condor Cycles. Um, So I think I fitted your brother back then for uh, a Condor bike. And then after that, I moved to Rafa. I think probably around about 2010. Um, when things so, were really taking off. Yeah. yeah, it was just starting to get a little it was, bit Yeah, bigger. just getting noticed, yeah. yeah. Um, which was ironic. Like, it was funny, I, look, I was just looking back um, and I think I was customer number 20. I actually bought one of their soft shell jackets. I remember that. Was. I remember seeing that in the staff room at Evan Cycles. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what on earth is this? <laughs> what is like, this? Yeah. Crazy. yeah, yeah. Wore it to absolute death <clears throat> and everything. Went clubbing in it. Yeah, that jacket was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. We have to talk about yeah, the yeah. thing later on <laughs> in private. <laughs> off, off, I was like young that. once, Ev. Were you? Mm. Don't remember young. Yeah, it does feel like a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there was a, a lot of crossover and that's where kind of lots of ideas were being shared. And I think you touched on it a little bit, uh, Graham, saying how quickly you can 
or how nimbly you can turn around stuff. And I think there was that fleet of foot, that ability to be small and nimble and turn things around. That was really exciting. And you can just kind of, very few people could do loads of stuff. You could just kind of make stuff and it was there and test it. And I think that's what I found really exciting about how you seem to approach stuff, certainly back in those days. And it sounds like you've come, come back to that kind of uh, method of, Kind of making and testing and you would make things and wear them and go out on rid ridiculously mm. long <clears> rides just to see how it would hold up yeah um uh without sort of well just diving right into the <laughs> deep deep now like that's that's kind of fundamentally one of the things that i love about clothing and i mean for one of a better word fashion is that it is so um, accessible and approachable to have an idea and get on a sewing machine and make something you know it's something that we all engage with we all have to participate in this art form this like purchase or, or um you know uh, consumption of design in the way that you know you can have any art hanging on your wall at home or mm. you know choose to drive a particular car or something like that but clothing everyone has to a actively participate in so at the same time actually making stuff is so accessible um and to that end, you can turn things around. And I think that's where I really learned the benefits of doing that very early on with my brother Chris. Mm. But then um, as some other kind of longer part processes get involved, um, I've now learned from, from some of those ways that there, there, there are ways to do things better um, exactly by just you know, making something up and actually getting onto someone to go and wear test. It's way more convincing to have that happen than show them another computer screen or yeah. flat mm. CAD or mm. whatever it is. So, and I, I don't know if that's true for you as well, Claire, uh, the actual making of things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're working with 3D physical things, so it's much more intuitive to kind of rather than working on the computer all day, you know, like mock stuff up, you know, get the fabrics out, kind of make a pattern, you know, work out the dimensions on the body. And then you can really quickly realize something, ride, you know, I ride home and stuff from the studio, you know, and then you can go back the next day, make some little amendments that just aren't working. And it's such an intuitive way of working rather than just sitting at the computer and sort of like looking at this really beautiful sort of flat, image you can you yeah. can get to the problem much the, quicker and it's a it's a tactile like emotional intimate experience i think as well like how you bond with you know whether something becomes the your favorite thing that you ultimately reach for or whatever that some of those sort of slightly more un, 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 intangible aspects of it are so so critical as well yeah what i'm getting from you guys is that you take it very much as as craftsmanship so you guys are very much involved at every aspect yeah. of this product and it's for you it's a, it's a serious craft to, I think, yeah you know, i think we both you know obviously deeply care about you know solving various problems that cyclists face and probably work in quite a similar way now that you know we really sort of analyze the garment and like work in a real physical way to sort mm. of like get to the root of what needs solving and and yeah yeah i really enjoy your little instagram videos of you cutting patterns and making stuff and it's like 
how do you go from like this pattern to you know an actual garment but you can see the the kind of process and the thought behind it and that was something that i was really keen to show as a as a brand because there's so much work that goes into the physical product you know Mm. it's not it's a very long process it can be Mm. in development for like two three years Mm. sometimes so it's really important to sort of see the hands making things and you know all the work that goes into it and the, mm. how you make a pattern and it's not just a first pattern it's, it can be like 10 patterns and then mm. 10 mock-ups and then 10 samples yeah. it's it's a very drawn out process and i was really keen to share how much knowledge and kind of like passion mm. goes into that yeah. and there aren't that many industries where you could because you can design for yourself right yeah so you literally, you can, like, like you just said, you, like you can just make something, you put it on, and then you can feel it straight away. Whereas, you know, there's so many industries with, whether it's bike design or something else, where, or, or, you know, being an aeronautical engineer, you people are designing something for somebody else or a tiny part of something for somebody else that mm. then goes down the line. And then by the time they see it again, it's completely, you know, it's gone through a thousand iterations or something like that. Whereas you mm. guys can be really, really hands-on with it. That must be, it must be... St- but is it still, how does it compare to when you, for example, when you both worked at Rafa, when the, the you know, you're on a, maybe a, a more grand scale, which we all know just means things take longer, things have to go th- past more people to approve, things like that. How does it feel and how scary is it to be the sole judge of your own work <laughs> because if you work for a big company you obviously you come up with an idea you make a presentation you put it before a board and then everybody kind of goes well I like that oh, I like this bit I like that and then you know designed by committee and by the time it's finished it's not really your work anymore so you can be proud of it to a certain extent but at the same time you know that people got their oar in you know all the way through the whereas now you know you it's up to you and then the response to that product is again completely on you how's that how's that make you feel <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a really exciting place to be um because i'm really enjoying sh- you know sharing my knowledge and my passion and you know my background and yeah, yeah i've seen it on the other side you know where you're in, you're part of a big team and you know it goes through all these different sort of um, iterations and and such forth but um yeah you know being a founder you know um I'm in a position now where I can work with a few different freelancers so that's really nice so it's not solely me but it's is me making the final decision but yeah. but yeah that's really exciting you know it's really exciting to kind of just iterate and get it out there and be super confident in in what I'm doing and it's quicker as well isn't it so yeah it's it's really liberating yeah mm. I guess you you can also then connect with like that final vision over like art direction and styling and you know what bike it might be seen or presented on or something like that that perhaps previously when you're working in a bigger team is sort of done you know it's a distance and something pops out the other end and oh yeah (laughs) to have that total control is really nice and also you know the business is growing and and that that vision you know it it can change and you know Mm. yeah again that's really exciting and you can roll with punches as well yeah. all the way along, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. It makes it much more um, malleable. 
doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a key difference between those small, nimble businesses and kind of local um, proprietary kind of led uh, businesses, and then like a bigger, bigger company and so on. And there's always pros and cons. Uh, it makes me think of frame builders as well. You know, mm. those guys who are welding steel tubes together and you know, really putting their heart and soul into this craft and having to convince a person that their craft and their vision and what they stand for and their values is worth buying over and, you know, uh, a frame that's made in the Far East with, you know, uh, in, a, in a faceless factory. And it's a difficult thing. I think it's really difficult. And, you know, how how you guys kind of convince people that, you know, there there is a lot of knowledge and uh, experience and, and passion behind the, the things that you do um, beyond just the, the finished kind of product itself. Like, do you, do you find that as a, a challenge or... Again, it sounds like you could just kind also of embrace to, it. Yeah. Having to do everything, you know, from everything from the design, the implementation, the marketing, and you know, because the marketing—that's that's what's got me lately. Is like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, mm. I do the work. Yeah. I also have to do the marketing, and I have to do all this other stuff. And it's like, it's just—it's a complete mind. Yeah, there's a lot to wrap your head yeah. around for sure. Um, but again, it's kind of exciting, you know, like learning, learning all of this other yeah. stuff and, and navigating, you know, the marketing side and yeah. all of that kind of side. It's, Suppose, I, it's, would you consider yourselves control freaks? No. 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 But it's no, nice. Enjoy a bit of have. chaos once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, chaos is good. <laughs> but uh, at, at the end of the day, if you have mood, the yeah. the um, the say, you know, the, the wherewithal to have the final say on something, it's always kind of nice, isn't it, to not have to not not feel like you've wasted time. Which is, I think, at the bigger mm. with the bigger companies, you you know, sometimes you do feel like, oh well, I spent a lot of time on this, and then they. Mm chucked in the bin or something so yeah it gets gets put on ice but i'll sort of jump in there because i suppose the way i'm set up now actually is is actually i really enjoy the teamwork aspect of that where there's a ton of stuff i'm useless at or i have zero interest in or, or whatever um so it allows me to concentrate on what i'm good at and um and not be wrapped up in um, marketing or yeah. something like that that there are way more skilled and competent people <laughs> to do that around me so I enjoy that aspect of it and, and and exactly like working with a really good developer I am so bad with codes you know writing emails spreadsheets and things like that and I'm not just saying I, I'm like I make so many mistakes if I do if I have to do those things but working with somebody who is you know, so professional and and organised on those digital side of things. It's just, um, mm. it's it's phenomenal. Like, mm. um, it would genuinely take me ten times as long <laughs> to do that stuff, if if not more. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the most important aspects of small businesses or medium sized businesses is to identify when your skill set runs out or overlaps with something, and you need to find somebody else to be able to allow you mm. to concentrate on what you're good at. Yeah, um, and also, but making the mistakes, you know, we, I guess you guys have 
kind of come from uh, a place where you're very experienced. You, you've been doing this for a long time. So now you get to choose kind of which direction you want to go in. So you can either, you know, take on the, the business side of things and be that business proprietor, or, you know, you can work in that team. And it's really nice to see you guys finding your kind of little niches and kind of being able to do the work that you really enjoy. Uh, I feel like certainly at Albion, you've been given this kind of lease of, you know, uh, creativity again. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, and it's all credit to the, yeah, the team there for <laughs> 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 indulging me um, to to um, sort of bring some um, some slightly novel stuff in there in terms of prototyping and making stuff that um you know previously i haven't really seen many companies do um that um you know it take it took a little bit of time to see the um you know see the fruits from some of those Mm. investments um it takes a bit more space you know you actually need like cutting room to cut things and machines and things like that so um yeah it's thanks to the patience uh, of uh, you know the, my colleagues there for, for tolerating that, but um, seems cool. seems to be working. Yeah. So, can you walk us through a little bit about uh, walk us through that kind of prototyping process? How would you go from like an idea <laughs> that's floating around in your head? <laughs> Where do the ideas to, come from? Do they um, do they are they iterations of stuff you've or <laughs> do you just wake up in the middle of the night when they're like, oh, I've got it, Eureka! Um, just get a pad and paper. And feel feel free to jump in here uh, with this, but um, within Albion, it's very much like a round table. Um, type of thing with um, uh, trying to figure out like not just making something for the sake of making it but really interrogating what that product is why we're going to make it who's going to use it and um, so it's all these different inputs from you know from seeing what people are using out in the field um, a little bit of gut feeling um, you know some financial sense as well like Mm. is it you know, this could potentially be a big investment. Like, does it? You know, can we actually do that? Um, so, a a kind of a brief will be sketched out um, and and kind of pinned down, not too tight. With you know, aware that it might change, and then it will go into very first proto phases where um, there's a number of different approaches to that. That it might be driven because we found an amazing fabric and we think it might make this, or mm. we've got a great idea for a product, we need to find some fabrics for it, in which mm. case we might be testing three or four different materials. So um, very, very basic mock-ups that might be, um, again, to wear test the material, it might be to dial a fit, or it might be um, to look at a, a, a feature, like a function or something like that. So no two processes are ever the same. Mm. Um, and again, this is just from a, from an Albion point of view. Like the more it goes on, <clears throat> it will transition from an analog process uh, to more digital. And by that, I mean um, it'll get rounded up into a proper design CAD and tech pack. Um, there'll be a digital pattern. So of what started off as a paper or card pattern will, will then get digitized, potentially even a, a digital um, uh, sort of mock-up, um, like a 3D uh, thing in, in something like Clo to, to maybe bring a print idea to, to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, as I say, kind of all of the actual data about 
um, codes and amounts and things like that. So um, it's a balance of using analog hands-on you know tools like scissors and rulers and, and things like that through to computers and um streamlining that, that aspect of it yeah where ultimately what we're aiming for is a um a garment or a mock-up that we are 95 percent there we don't need it completely factory finished that's what the factory is there for you know they've got specialist machinery but we want to have a perfect you know as perfect as possible mock-up toile that, that we know is fitted, the materials wear tested, all the features, the pockets are in the right place, the, the zipper's working correctly, um, that we can effectively plug into um, a factory for them to make a first sample um, that could be uh, good enough to then go into a size set rather than taking four, five, six, mm. maybe 10 different samples, you know, over mm. potentially a couple of years to, to get yeah. to that phase. And do you have multiple projects like on the go at the same time, or do you tend to kind of just focus on one um, thing? Yeah, there's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh -oh. I think this is the, where it gets really complex, yeah. isn't it? Where you have multiple products what, across multiple seasons. Yeah, yeah. and you sort of, it's so easy to get distracted. Like, oh yeah, I just um, just have a little yeah, and then all of a sudden, like it's like a few days later, and then then sort of like personal projects and things. Mm. But um, mm. yeah, it's hard not to get distracted. I think and be like, oh, this would be a nice but, to yeah. have. Sometimes is sometimes a positive thing because you can get distracted. You can start something new, yeah. but then <clears> ideas <throat> from that you can implement completely. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually quite a lot of what we do at Albion within the, the kind of the workshop area is, is customising kit for athletes or kind of special project mm. things. So mm. uh, someone's doing a particular ultra race and they want a hood, an insulated hood on a jacket or more visibility or something like that. So exactly all of those things kind of these little projects and feed into um, to, to making our you know, pr um, production um, items better yeah. and actually another thing is repairs as well that we do so we do all the repairs in-house and so all of that means that we you know you can see if something is you know wearing out a braiding in um, a particular area okay let's use a uh, you know double two layers of fabric there or, mm. or bond something together there and and actually design these features uh, design these um, uh, not weak points but points of potential mm. failure out mm. um, and uh, make our products last longer. Yeah, so, and that's amazing. Um, there's very few, or there's, people are getting better about it, but I feel like this is something a little bit more distinctive about the brand values in that you, you want to have a dialogue with your garments and your customers and see stuff coming back so that you can improve them. But also, you know, do do people actually like the stuff? Do they what, what's good about it? What's bad about it? What's, yeah. what's actually happening? Um, and I, I, you know, a, a lot of these products they're not, you know, um, they're not cheap. People have invested in them, mm. um, and I believe, you know, if um, for want of a better word, if we are talking about sustainability and you know, trying to change systems or, you know, using recycled products and C0 DWR. Like, if you're creating something, you have a huge responsibility about that product that mm. you're putting out into the world that it should last for as long as possible. And actually, you know, yes, we've, you know, looked down the line five decades and we might have circular recyclable clothing, but we are so far away from that at the moment. So mm. the mm. best thing you can do is, is make something 
as good quality, that's going to be as durable as possible, that's going to last for as long as possible and retain value even in a resale yeah. market. Yeah, yeah. I'd still got some uh, an old couple of pieces actually, like an old Rafa wind jacket which I crashed and then you sewed like a little patch back into it and different colour and it's yeah. it's amazing. It's still it's still going rather than just like oh. And again, uh, I out. think you then you also have an emotional like attachment to it as well, yeah. like a you especially know, when you crash it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's some physical <laughs> attachment to it. it. <laughs> yeah. Got the DNA all over it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess that's why your repair kind of pop-ups have been really popular as well. Yeah, yeah. riding around town. Mm. Tell us a bit more about your uh, your setup. Yeah, um, so that um, has sort of snowballed out of <clears throat> years ago. Um, uh, when I originally started working with Albion, um, we I was working um, for my brother Christopher Rayburn, um, who had this lovely big studio in in Hackney in the old Burberry um, headquarters. Um, and Albion, I invited Albion in to come and do a rail takeover um, in our in our store. So for a weekend, they had a space, and we thought quite, what quite a fun thing to do was a. Uh, an anti-Black Friday thing was um, offer free repairs on any brand cycle wear. Um, so this was um, a, a provocation really to the industry that actually I think more brands should be taking responsibility for some of these things or offering uh, some of these services. Um, and it was a great space as well just to open up dialogue and conversation with someone mm. coming in. Mm. Um, and it's just um, escalated from there. So. Um, I'm now equipped with a lovely um, Surly uh, bike trailer that I hitch onto my uh, nice big um, town, Cannondale, um, and I'm able to haul about, I reckon, <clears throat> I reckon I took about 100 kilos of kit to up to Via, <laughs> uh, to the Via Crit um, in the summer. Um, so we probably did about um, 10 different workshops across around London last last yeah. year, I think. Um, Hearn Hill, um, look out this this summer, uh, this spring summer, we're going to be doing regular uh, once a month uh, sessions on a Wednesday evening at um, Hearn Hill Velodrome. Nice. Uh, again, repair sessions, workshops, mm. making, making things. Um, really fundamentally to get people interested in the true value of, of garments and textiles. Mm. Yeah, amazing stuff. So exciting to see that kind of stuff taking off and people really getting involved with it and people mm. getting excited about it. Um, the, the kind of slightly, uh, you know, the higher mission is also just to get people interested in potential careers uh, and pathways into the industry mm. as well, again, because I think, it's, I think it is so accessible. There's loads of amazing brands um, in London and, and the UK like offering really good, viable careers now into... Um, clothing design, um, performance wear. Mm. Um, mm. It, would that be a kind of apprenticeship kind of program, or just uh, well, I mean, dare to, dare to dream, but down the line, definitely, <laughs> okay. we're, we're a tiny, tiny company at the moment. But um, yeah. but yeah, there are sort of um, you know some uh, dreams uh, ahead to to try and um, start right. that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Um, or maybe you can uh, give us some links and things like that and we'll post them in the show notes afterwards. So if anyone's interested in a, a career in uh, the garment industry, then uh, yeah, hook us up and mm. uh, yeah, give Graham a chat. You're pretty amenable these days as well. Like um, people mm. 
you're a very friendly chap. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, people, I think, I think by and large, everyone in the bike industry is. I think that's yeah. one of the reasons I was kind of drawn drawn to it. Really, yeah. I mean, you sent a lovely chap down to us um, called Max, who's uh, just doing his A levels. Yes, um, yeah, and mm. he's uh, trying to design some specific uh, bike fitting slash practical kind of tools for his A level project. And uh, yeah, he 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 was blown away by kind of your generosity and uh, all the kind of knowledge you oh. gave him. Um, and then he came in here, and Matt had a go at him <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. No, he had a great time. Um, and, uh, had a great, great time for <clears throat> workshops and things like that. So, as I, I was, I mean, as I say, that I mean, there's so many great things happening in London at the moment because, you know, you're you're just around the corner from us, and we've got Wizard Works just up mm, the road. Yeah. Where, is, uh, where are you based? Uh, we're Deptford. Okay. And yeah, yeah, I'm over in uh, Charlton. Yeah, oh, nice. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you just moved to a new studio. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, last year was quite wild with the launch and everything <laughs> of the bib. Um, and then in October, I decided it was time to move out of my co-working space, which was yeah. tiny and not mm -hmm. ideal. So I took on a new studio. And it's been incredible, actually, having an own dedicated space um, to sort of work out of. And Have you filled it up already? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, happens. yeah, but it's it's awesome just having like a pattern cutting table yeah. and you know um, area to put stock and get super organised and yeah. yeah, all the creative ideas are kind of really flowing and yeah, when the weather gets nicer, it'd be great to open the doors and op mm, op yeah. open up and uh, yeah, get our lovely customers come down and yeah planning some really cool rides out of there as well. For oh, summer, cool. So, All yeah. right. So you're Watch creating a little space. community yeah. and like, yeah. So, yeah. I've seen you've been doing a bit of gravel riding and uh, getting yeah. out into the, the, the muddy lanes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been really nice actually because obviously I started off mountain biking and then mm. when I moved to London to work for Rafa, it was it was very much a road cycling company at that yeah, time, yeah, yeah. Um, shall we say. So, yeah, it's been really fun to go full circle and get a gravel bike yeah. maybe like three years ago yeah. and just, yeah, enjoy getting off-road and getting <laughs> muddy again. And has that seen... I was going to say, has that seen your profits soar? You know, the whole gravel thing, is, is that generally... Because I feel like it's... People are... It's being pushed as a very different type of writing. Yeah. So I suppose you, you, the kit that you mm. ultimately want, there was a time where when it first started, you'd just wear what you've got, but now, you know, the, the term gravel specific is Well, the intention in vogue, with Petrocore projects was never to create a road, another road cycling <laughs> brand yeah. or a gravel specific brand. For me, it was creating products technical products that solve a specific problem. Um, so with the women's bib, I really saw an opportunity to create a size inclusive brand mm. that made um, that made really great uh, innovative cycling bib for women. So um, it's size inclusive in eight different sizes. It's got a really innovative P-brake function. Um, so it was more about looking at individual problems that women cyclists face across any kind of discipline. Um, and that's the way that I've approached it, you know, and I think the cycling industry really picked up on that. We were covered in Cyclist magazine, mm -hmm. uh, Single Trek actually awarded us um, one of the coveted Editor's Choice uh, yes. Awards in December, which is amazing. So, 
it's been really nice to kind of see that recognition, but also not be kind of pigeonholed into mm. another yeah. road cycling yeah. brand. And you know, um, it's all too easy to fall into that trap, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I don't think people really cycle that way anymore. You know, it's, yeah. this cycling's just great, like regardless mm -hmm. what, whatever you're doing. So. Mm. Um, I don't think anybody needs it's, it yeah, to be... It's brilliant to see, like, yeah. way less kind of rules or needing yeah. to look a certain way or, you know, have X, Y, Z, like, on your bike or exactly, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. And how amazing, though, that you got such a, a great reception for those bib shorts. Like, literally everyone I've seen with, like, a pair of those bib shorts just raving about them. <laughs> like, yeah, this is the most amazing bibs ever. It's, it's been quite a journey, shall we say. Um... Yeah, it was it was great. Um, it was amazing to launch them because, like I said, I was working on them for like three years in R and D, mm. uh, testing and iterating on them. So to kind of get them out there was great in itself, and then yeah. just to see the kind of like the the reaction and the, the press picking it up, and then to round it off by winning an award was yeah. was incredible, really. Um, so yeah, it's a really nice position to be in, and it's given me lots of ideas for future products mm. to, to yeah. get to work on. On so, the subject of sorry, I'm yeah, going to interject. Yeah, on the yeah. subject of bibs, how do you come up with them, <laughs> and how closely and or have you interacted with, say, fitters or saddle companies or bike companies in general to actually get the basic idea of like, well, you know, where should where should the pad go? What shape should the pad be? How should it, you know, mm. how much padding should there be? You know, are these, is this focused on people who ride maybe mountain bikes or people who ride road bikes or kind of saddles? And, you know, is, is there something there or is it kind of generally like guesswork? Well, I think every brand has a, a quite different approach to it. So, for example, when we were at Rafa, it might be a very different approach because it might mm. be we were working on a protein bib, for example, or, you know, uh, a commuter bib. But, but for me at Petrocore Projects, it was about creating a bib that worked in any, in any situation. If you're going out for a three-hour road ride or if you're riding all day off-road, I wanted to create the ultimate bib for women that work for all different body types and that solve these really specific problems. So for me, it was about looking at what those problems were um, and looking at a really wide range of body shapes and sizes and really nailing the fit. The fit was such a key thing for me to mm. get right. Um, and I knew I could kind of realize that with my sort of industry background. Um, and then it's like Graham was saying before, you know, it really is a journey. It's, it's iterating. It's sort of like looking at those different fabrics and what each fabrication would give you in that product, looking at a different pad and then seeing how that product looks on the bike. You know, you're not sort of just fitting it on someone stood up. Mm -hmm. you're, you're getting someone on the bike and you're looking all around to see how it looks from all different aspects and how you can improve it and clean it up. And yeah. it's constantly iterating and testing and giving them out to people yeah. and yeah. saying, go out and ride in it and trash it and, yeah. and tell me what yeah. isn't working and learning from that, that process constantly. Yeah. I think that was what was really exciting when we were back at Rafa and uh, design, you guys were designing stuff. And 
I used to love come, coming upstairs just to, you know, get into the <laughs> the design area because it felt a little bit like, the, you know, the, the black box or the R&D area. It's like, ooh, what's happening in here? What new things are? And then you'd uh, occasionally you'd uh, throw us out something and be like, hey, wait, can you go and test this? Uh, you know, tell us if it's any good. And be like, yeah, sure, great. I've got to go ride my bike now. <laughs> um, and just, just even the concept back then of, uh, yeah, as designing a bib so that it fitted in a bike riding position rather than feeling good when you stood up. And it was really weird when you stood up in a bib and it was just too, way too tight. But when you got into your bike riding position, it felt great. Do you have, do you have both have dummies that are in the position? I don't no, know. <laughs> way too expensive, unfortunately. To, it's not something that is not, not a fashion industry <clears throat> staple, is it? It's, to have it's a, not. You know, no. <clears throat> It's probably much cheaper to get one 3D printed these days. Yeah. <laughs> would it help? Would it be useful? Well, I suppose you've, you've got <clears throat> computers to do 3D drawings anyway. I think the I think just in use is really yeah. the only way that you can really tell of someone can't tell sort of moving. Yeah, shapes, exactly. And having someone ride in it just yeah. there's yeah. so much value in that. Yeah, yeah. There's the difference between people, like you know, the, the fashion industry that um, people that design suits and dresses and things like that, and they're just like you know, very static mm. kind of things. Well, I mean, the suit is something that is mm. really designed to be static rather than moved around in, whereas cycling clothes are designed to move yeah. and move with you. So, but I think this is a value that we kind of all of us kind of share within all our um, kind of expertise areas. And, and that is just getting out and riding and testing things. And because riding is a holistic kind of process and there's, there's no substitute for, you know, going out and riding and experiencing and being out in the wild and feeling the wind and the air and the weather that's coming at you. You know, whether you're testing clothes or for us, it's like testing saddles and the bike fit itself. Does it actually work? Like we can fit you in the studio and it kind of looks great, but it's not the same as being outside so now we've got to take it out and test it and the same with you Ev, if when you're working on a bike and it's oh it's great in the stand yeah. but yeah. you know I think one of the best things about you being here is that you can just take it out on the road circuit yeah. and then test it it's like does it work when it goes up a hill oh okay maybe I need to <laughs> so make like a when you put pressure on the pedals yeah. no <laughs> get back in yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and, I, yeah. I, I've got I've got this thing like because <clears throat> love, love it if anyone there does want to challenge this but I don't think that there's a more demanding um, sort of activity or sport on in, on fabrics in, uh, 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 than cycling uh, because of the like range of temperature or conditions that you might encounter, like mm. over ride, you know, particularly if you're riding in the mountains or something, mm. you know, two thousand meters down to sea level mm. or whatever. Um, it's you know you can go, um, you can um, be um, exerting and sweating loads it, you're going to have road spray grease off the road sun cream like solar ray damage mm. um, it's got to be dyed to high-vis colors and not bleach or not bleed into to other things it's got to be comfortable next to the skin it's got to stretch like mm. it's got to be laundered like really mm. frequently um, you know and there is so many criteria that need to go into like um, uh, a very specific like use case uh, mm. kind of thing so yeah like you can you can look at stuff on paper or whatever and get a feel for whether it's good but actually getting out there and 
um, into the elements and, and experiencing, you know, and even to, does it look good? Like, is someone mm. going to sell? You know, that's yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. How, how do you guys approach the whole uh, fit, fitting process for for the customer? Then, do do you guys um, try and get people to just test on themselves, or do you kind of want to get people uh, like in front of you? As well uh, as much as possible. I, I don't know if you can we can visit either of you guys in in person or not. Or like, very uh, possibly like the same answer, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, for me, the fit process is um, it's really driven by each sample you get. You improve the fit, kind of. Uh, you iterate on that fit. So you know, the first sample you you will give the factory an idea of. I want it to fit like this, you know, these are, these are the, this is the kind of reference. Um, and then you get the first sample back and then it's constantly making adjustments and constantly like looking at the product and how does it look on this bike? How does it look on this bike? Yeah. And then you're riding in the product and, you know, what might have worked on, as you were saying before, what might work on a static bike in, in the studio, mm. it might not work where you're out six hours you know riding off roads and this thing suddenly becomes really flappy or uncomfortable or you've got too much fabric in the wrong place so it really is a um a journey with that with that sample and that process and kind of tweaking yeah. you know and the first sample can quite often yeah. look really bad <laughs> <laughs> and then you get the second proto and it's slightly better and the, yeah. the next sample it's it's yeah. It's, yeah. it's perfect. So, yeah, it's kind of that process really. And, you know, you, you generally, you start off fitting on one size, which would be your, your base size. Yeah. Um, and then as you go down the process, you tend to go to a size set where mm. you see it on a range of different sizes, different yeah. body shapes, heights. Um, and that's to kind of get the, the sizing right across the whole spectrum. So you're yeah. not just looking at, you know, one size and... Yeah. Hoping for the best, mm. you're really analysing it across the board and really honing that fit to get it how you want it. Yeah. And have you guys ever considered custom or what's your kind of take on custom clothing? Um, it, we have a similar discussion about custom bikes and custom shoes and all this kind of stuff, but it'll be really good to get your you guys view. Um, yeah, let me think where to start. Yeah, we um, <laughs> open the box now. <laughs> Because maybe similar to yourselves as well, like you've got a degree of adjustment through different reach stems or with yeah. bars or whatever. And, and so, you you know, you might, as an individual, marry a medium pair of bibs with a large jersey or something mm. like that and, and dial the things, you know, pull the sleeves up or something like that. And actually, back to kind of what I was just saying about, you know, cl the clothing, the fabric being adaptable is... That is also a consideration maybe around the fit is that you are sometimes choosing materials which will um, f uh, encompass a broad range of body types or something mm. like that. So using the characteristics of the material, you're able to fit kind of more people um, and, and opt for doing that rather than maybe a very rigid thing with, without much stretch in it or something like mm. that. So. Um, which I think by the nature of particularly contour fabrics, um, but then also kind of looser garments as well, you might, mm. you know, away from the body, you might be thinking, okay, this is good because actually we can fit um, a wider range of people there. 
Um, but certainly, <laughs> um, so actually, I'll, I'll just go off on a little ramble now. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. <clears throat> but having just said all that, I do believe that we should be treating clothing more like bikes um, in that um, if you if you want to upgrade a bike, uh, you know, you can put a new set of wheels on it or uh, if you want to make it single speed or, um, you know, turn it into a touring bike, you can put some panniers on or, or whatever. And I think we should have that attitude towards clothing that if you do want to put another pocket on it or uh, turn it into a short sleeve or put some extra weatherproofing on it or something like that, it should actually be quite straightforward to do mm. that and, mm. and have these kind of accessible processes mm. and be kind of less precious about having to keep something absolutely perfect mm. um, and actually adapting in the same way that you, you know, it's completely normal in a bike. If something's worn out, you replace it. Why can't mm. we do that with, with yeah. garments? Instead, we throw a whole garment away. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting view. Uh, not one that I've heard before, but that's, yeah. Super interesting. Well, why not? Why? I would have loved that when I, was, sense, yeah, yeah. when I was getting into it for the first time. You know, when you're first, you're, you're entering your cycling journey, mm. and uh, you just you, you you basically you start off by getting the cheapest thing in three sizes too big for you, and then eventually you get to the <laughs> point where you know you, you're trying all loads of things and realizing what's available. But the, you go through, you know, I went through jerseys like like a box of tissues. You know, so much stuff that you just throw mm. away where you buy cheap tat and it, it's just like you didn't, because you didn't know you weren't educated at the beginning mm. to realise mm -hmm. that maybe I should, you know, um, spend mm. a bit more money and get something that mm. actually fits me properly and is comfortable and having the option to change those things as well. Because I'm, mm. I'm one of those people who I don't see things and think, oh, I want that. I come up with something in my head and think, I want that. Now mm. I'm going to go looking for it. Yeah. Mm. And obviously mm -hmm. you're looking for something that you've just made up in your head and doesn't necessarily exist. And I but think like really we were saying before, you know, people don't always cycle the same way. You know, I, mm. I used to be very much a road cyclist and now mm. I do a bit of road, do a bit of gravel, dipping my feet back into mountain biking mm. a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, it makes sense that your clothing can kind of do all of this as well and that you can adapt your clothing and or, you know, I'm riding off-road, so I might want a slightly looser-fitting jacket, so why can't we kind of, you know, make this modification and kind of, like, upgrade it so yeah. it can kind of serve this purpose, you know? And convertible stuff, is like, is that, is that... Have you both got ideas on that? Um, so, I mean, sometimes it can end up not doing either of the two jobs that it's out to do, but um, something like, you know bib shorts with leg warmers mm. like is that more versatile than kind of full tights or which again you know arm warmers or something you know it's um we kind of already have some of those systems i suppose but um i'm less of a fan of the you know the jacket that turns upside down and it's yeah. it's a waterproof hat or whatever mm. yeah. Yeah. yeah some well, of them can be slightly convoluted like yeah. the the zip off sleeve mm. for example that's yeah. just more tricky yeah to mm. use than anything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe it works more for the, the mountain bike side of things where things can be a little mm. bit more hefty, a bit more, but not not for your sleek road cyclists. Yeah, so. yeah maybe nice. another lever in your handlebars alongside all the lockouts and dropper posts <laughs> yeah, and stuff, something, yeah. to, <laughs> something to pull the sleeves up and like, yeah. put a hood over or Extra whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds very much like a cultural um objection though it's it's you know it's hard to change culture mm. 
mm-hmm. and you know get people to think in a different way about how they treat certain things and and that's kind of tied up in the the imagery of you know the the fashion of cycling at, at the moment as well which mm-hmm. i feel like mm-hmm. so so much of the stuff is kind of fashion driven there's a, definitely a certain look about it and and that's yeah. fine but yeah. you know is there also uh um, an equal weight on the value of, you know, being able to modify, recycle, have longevity, durability, all those kind of things. Um, and how do you put that down on a web page as yeah. concisely as possible, mm-hmm. so that people buy into that idea? Yeah. It's, it's again, it's the mm. same problem that you have, same problem that I have. Everything, every time you go into something that is customizable, mm. it comes with a whole load of spiel that you need people to. Uh, you know, married to, to to kind of understand mm. as well. You, it can't be. It's not a quick sale, is it? It's they just need to listen to the podcast. They need to listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's how they do it. <laughs> Long form. Yeah. Um, all right. Whew. Spoken about. Gone. Gone in lots of different waves and things. I think final thing. Um, what are you most excited about, like at the moment? What what new things? Well, you probably can't talk about what new things are coming, can you? Both of you, but uh, give us a tease. Can you give us a tease about something? What um, are you excited about? Maybe not I even am, a new product, but just something you're excited. About. Well, way I'm, I am extremely excited about this year ahead. As we were discussing before we went on air, uh, that I've sorted out a problem in my hip. And yeah. I am now really looking forward to riding again properly, knowing that I'm not grinding my hip to dust. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, goodness. Um, hold on. I'll, I might have that. to edit this because I'm going to try and think of something <laughs> specific product wise um, that I might be able to. Um, mm, okay. yeah. or maybe a little event or the next repair show or yeah. something like that. Claire, have you got anything you're, uh, you can let us in on? I'm really excited about um, obviously having the studio and lots more space yeah. to uh, get creative in. Um, yeah. Have you spoken to Betty Souter yet? Saffron, he's just like around the corner from you. Yeah, it- I've chatted to him once, but yeah, I need to go and catch up properly with yeah, him. Yeah, he's yeah. literally just around the corner. See, all these mm. like, great people are trying to bike the, the, the South East London <laughs> connection, yeah. Um, Hot with the bike industry. Yeah, I'm working on a couple of new products, which is really exciting. Mm. Um, and yeah, they are looking really awesome. Um, and then this year, it's going to be really good, just building on what, what I achieved last mm. year. Mm. I'm going to be doing lots of like in-person events and kind of cycling events and pop-ups and things. So yeah, getting out there and um, meeting like lots of customers again and just kind of spreading mm. the Petricor project's mission further. Yeah. It's going to be good. Yeah. Is there a specific event that's coming up relatively soon that you're going to be at? I'm going to be doing Sisters in the Wild, um, so that would be great. Um, And then, yeah, lots of other things in works. Awesome. Yeah, it's so good to hear this positivity, uh, certainly at this time in the bike industry when so many uh, kind of more established brands seem to be going the other way. Yeah, it's Um, a tricky time. Too big for their own good, so maybe the... Yeah. Smaller companies, yeah. it's time. For, it's our time to shine. Mm. Does seem to be a, a change in the wind. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Mm. But yeah, but Albion's doing well as well, and they they seem to be going strong. So ticking things Still, over, yeah. right? Yeah. In the, the yeah. face of what, you know the, the, what's happening, some of the free fall that's happening in the industry mm. at the moment. So yeah, yeah good. 
Good stuff. <laughs> Any last oh, words? Oh, yeah, no. Um, the yeah. problem is, all the stuff I'm excited about is, I mean, I'm just daydreaming about getting a, <laughs> a six-foot-long trailer <laughs> to fit even more kit on, so stuff like that. That's why we love you, Greg. <laughs> you were always a little bit eclectic, even uh, back at Evans Day. Yeah. I remember you turning your was it, a pace mountain bike into all kinds of weird things. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Did you see Rob English made an, uh, a frame builder, made an ode to I that did, yes. Road. Yeah, yeah, to the Pace RC200, yeah. Yeah, definitely turned my head, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to get you one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, if you're going back into riding, do that. All right, thank you, guys. That's been really, really insightful. And uh, thank you for sharing your time, your thoughts, and your energy. And yeah, just wishing you all the best for a very exciting 2024 ahead. Mm. Um, where can we where can we find you on social media, internet, things like that? I am petracorprojects.co on um, yeah. Spend Instagram. money on the dot co. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and cool. website the same. Nice. Yeah. Are you on the on the gram? You're on the gram. Yeah, you? it's the yeah. same handle. Yeah. Yeah. Petracor.co right. yeah, yeah. and Graham. I think Albion Cycling will come up wherever you yeah, look for just it. Just type it in, Google it. Yeah, and, um, and I'm Graham underscore Rayburn out there on socials as well, should you <laughs> want, to, <laughs> want to take a peek at what I'm up to there. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, over the sounds of the sewing machine, maybe you'll get a, a little mm. ping. <laughs> <laughs> Enough about butts. Favourite sewing machine of choice? Ooh. Brand wise, I mean, my mum was a seamstress, so I've got a. My sewing machine isn't quite as, van as advanced as uh, Graham's, I'm sure, but um, Singer Classic. Singer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's got to be. The, the faffs. I love German faffs. Mm. 70s and 80s. Uh -huh. take, take them apart and yeah. get what a yeah, absolutely yeah. beautiful engineering. Yeah. Yeah. Are they analog or are they digital? I, yeah, I generally, I knew it. I knew it. generally <laughs> totally shy, shy away not, from not, as in not too digital. mechanical, not the ones where you have to tell oh, no, 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 no. But just, yeah. 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 You know up, where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with the sound of my mum's uh, brother. I think it was a brother or a singer. Yeah. Yes. The motor yeah, just yeah, yeah. constantly. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Just talking about uh, digital versus analog with that yeah. bike behind you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. <laughs> On the, those ones, the, the treader ones, so because they've got sort of a flywheel, yeah. they really get up like momentum mm. and you can't you can't just stop them so yeah when they start going through your finger it would just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just yeah you like can't stop it basically yeah. a lathe yeah wow you've got yeah, the scars. Heft, hefty old things wow. there you go well thank you guys and uh, yeah thank you. catch you all soon thank you if you have questions for us about today's episode, you can follow the podcast on Instagram and YouTube under Soft Issues Pod, so leave us a message. And if you liked what you heard today, leave us a five-star review and a rating. This helps us hugely to grow the show so we can help riders like yourself get even more out of their riding. Suffering from numb hands, tingling toes, and any other persistent discomforts when you ride? These are all signs that your bike fit could be improved. 
If you're bike fit curious, get in touch with Way or Matt by emailing info at foundation.fit or finding them on Instagram at FDN underscore bike fit. Finally, for all your bike servicing needs, custom dream bike or hand-built wheels, go to www.frequencycycleworks.com or find me on Instagram at frequencycycleworks. Until next time, keep on spinning. We'll be right back.